some of the business owners who came into the incubator, they, I would ask them, do you have a business plan? Well, yeah, I have one. It's in my head. Hmm. I mean, as you know. This is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today, your media hub for all things black entrepreneurship, politics, news, and events in Hampton Roads and beyond. When I say black, y'all say Wall Street. Black. Wall Street. Black Wall Street. When I say black, y'all say Wall Street. Black. Black. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this 23rd edition of Black Wall Street Today with Blair Durham. This has been a wonderful Black History Month. To that end, today's show focuses on sustainability and entrepreneurship. Our guests have made a significant impact over a number of decades, so we're certainly excited to have the benefit of their expertise in the studio. Before we get going, though, I want to highlight Mr. Robert Abbott. Born born just five years after the end of the Civil War, Robert Abbott founded a weekly newspaper, the Chicago Defender, one of the most important black newspapers in history in 1905. Without Abbott, there would be no essence, no jet, no black enterprise, no source, and no the undefeated. The success of the Chicago Defender made Abbott one of the nation's most prominent post-slavery black millionaires, along with the beauty product magnet, Madam C.J. Walker, and paved the way for prominent black publishers such as Earl Graves, John Johnson, and Edward Lewis. The son of slaves, Abbott grew up with a half-German stepfather, whose relatives eventually joined the Third Reich during the 1930s. Ironically enough, young Robert was taught to hate racial injustice, despite encountering it at every turn in his life, from his early foray into the printing business, to his time in law school in Chicago, all the way to religious institutions. An alum of Hampton University, then named Hampton Institute, Abbott was a catalyst for the Great Migration at the turn of the 20th century when six million African-Americans from the rural South moved to urban cities in the West, the Northeast, and the Midwest, with 100,000 settling in Chicago. Like a politician promising tax breaks to out-of-state companies to inspire relocation, Abbott took it upon himself to lay out the welcome mat for the millions of Blacks abandoning Jim Crow to head to the Windy City, where manufacturing jobs were awaiting as World War I approached. When starting off as 25 cents in capital and a four-page pamphlet distributed strictly in Black neighborhoods, it quickly grew into a readership that eclipsed half a million a week at its peak numbers that mirror the Miami Herald and Orlando Sentinel today. The paper's rise in stature and circulation was due in large part to Abbott being a natural hustler. Defender was initially banned in the South due to its encouragement of African-Americans to abandon the area and head north, but the Georgia native used a network of black railroad porters who would eventually become the brotherhood of sleeping car porters to distribute the paper in Southern states. After the influx of blacks in the Midwest following the Great Migration, Abbott and the Defender turned their attention to other issues facing blacks in the early 20th century, including Jim Crow segregation, the presidency of Woodrow Wilson, and the deadly 1919 Chicago riots that mirrored recent day demonstrations seen in Baltimore and Ferguson, Missouri. Abbott's nephew, John Sicknack, took the Defender over in the 1940s, eventually heading black newspapers in Detroit, in Memphis, uh, and the historic Pittsburgh Courier super excited to find out that Robert Abbott was actually an alum of the amazing Hampton University. 
Our first guest is Mr. Alvin Keels. Mr. Keels is a strong believer in education. He has coached, mentored, inspired, and assisted many young people in pursuing a college education. As a lover of music, and especially jazz, Mr. Keels enjoys producing jazz events that express his unique vision and passion for the art. Producing over 10 successful events earned him the distinguished honor of being named Jazz Impresario of the Year by Jazz Arts Movement Incorporated in 2011. Mr. Keels currently serves as the president and CEO of Jazz Legacy Foundation, which he founded in 2013. The Jazz Legacy Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit which supports jazz and music education. Each year in November, the foundation holds its annual gala featuring world-renowned jazz talent to promote and support the Jazz Legacy Foundation and its mission. Mr. Keels, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Or good afternoon, rather. I'm doing, uh, that's right. Well, it is. <laughs> well, it's good to have you here today. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you now. Okay, awesome. Listen, we are yeah, excited I'm, about I'm having on, you. I'm on, yeah, I'm on the road and, and I apologize. No problem. Listen, we're excited to have you on the show today. We are talking about sustainability and entrepreneurship. Um, And I know that certainly your Jazz Legacy Foundation, your uh, insurance agency have experienced tremendous success. I'm hoping that you are willing to share with our listeners just a little bit about your story. How'd you get started with entrepreneurship? Uh, We're we're talking about the, the Jazz Legacy Foundation. We're talking about the agency. We're talking about Jazz Legacy. We're just talking about your personal history and entrepreneurship. Well, let's, let's talk about the agency. Um, okay. The, okay. The State Farm Agency uh, started out in 1985. Uh, it's uh, they gave me an opportunity to to have my my own business. Of course, the State Farm name, of course, is, uh, as, as we know it, is, is State Farm, but each office, which a lot of people don't don't know, is in, independently owned. Right. And and uh, that business started in 1985, and I was one of the first African-American uh, agents in our in our state to, to uh, own an agency. Wow. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to, uh, uh, excuse me one second. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm having, having a little distraction here while I'm driving. Are you uh, able to turn your radio down, just all the way down? For well, no, no, I don't have a radio on, actually. It's, I, have, I have another individual that, anyway, that was on the phone. Got it. Okay. 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 Now they're off. Now, now I can hear you and I can start over. The, uh, Thank you. And in 1985, I was able to uh, have my own agency. And um, it was quite a, a pioneering project as well as a, as a challenge. Um, getting into business, uh, basically being set up uh, in that particular business uh, in an inferior way. And... Uh, and not to really tell you everything about it, but I was initially set up to fail in the business, but I was able to overcome that. Um, and, 
of course, you know, the, the rest is the rest is uh, history now. But, but, but Mr. Uh, Keels, I, I want to hear more about just that. I mean, it's my understanding that insurance is probably one of the most difficult products to sell. You know, you're talking about um, establishing an agency at a time where there were not very many blacks at all um, involved. What was that like? What was that journey? Well, as, as you mentioned, uh, insurance is, is something that uh, is... Uh, it's a product, and it's a type of product that you don't you don't you don't have anything physical. It's basically a product of a promise, hmm. a promise to take care of your needs in the event of your needs. So it's it's it's, it's that type of industry. Now, uh, State Farm, uh, which is the, uh, uh, the the company I represent, of course, is, is a very well known name, mm-hmm. and. It's helpful to be a part of that, uh, a company that's well-known, because that kind of gets you in the door when people recognize that name. Got it. Uh, the challenge I had at the time uh, was uh, I was set up in a location by the company that was a very poor location. Mm-hmm. I was set up uh, as far as doing business. Uh, they put me in... Um, an area that was very, very much a declining area. I couldn't move. I had no choice. Uh, even though I'm in business for myself, but uh, that was part of the, uh, the independent contract I had. I had to at least uh, be uh, do service my clients in that particular uh, 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 area. An area was was one that was really a crack infested area. Uh, um, uh, high crime, and I had to have my office in that area, which wasn't wasn't a good thing. I didn't uh, realize how bad it was until after I came on board and uh, and attended meetings uh, with other fellow agents and found out they they had received accounts and things of that nature. So overall, I don't want to dwell uh, too much more on the negative uh, negative side, but. <laughs> It was really set up for me to fail, and um, and I overcame those obstacles to make it to make it a success. That's that's the bottom line. And actually, let me interrupt you there, ladies and gentlemen, if you're just tuning in. This is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today. We're talking with Mr. Alvin Keels. Um, We're focused today on sustainability and entrepreneurship. Certainly, he's enjoyed a 30 plus year history with the State Farm Agency and has founded the Jazz Legacy Foundation, which is a very successful nonprofit, um, sharing a little bit about, you know, your time with the agency and how you got things underway. I'm curious to know, were you were you able to penetrate that particular market with the good news about what it is insurance really provides? That's, that's a good, that's a good uh, uh, question, uh, Blair. Uh at the time when I started, uh, we were on a moratorium, which added to what I said earlier, where we couldn't even write uh, certain types of insurance. We couldn't write any auto insurance. Now imagine that, State Farm being a, the number one auto insurance insurer at the time, and we couldn't write auto insurance. Wow. So, uh, my, so one thing I could really sell at the time was, was life insurance. Mm-hmm. And that was my... That was my project. That was my, my goal to sell as much life insurance. Now, 
my my philosophy was in insurance is to give the the customer what's best for them, not necessarily what's best for for his company, but what's best for them in their situation. And with that philosophy, I uh, I wrote uh, good policies, policies that I could feel good inside that I know I gave them the best. Because one thing about the insurance uh, industry, it's it's a industry where there's a lot of stuff out there within the insurance industry that's not really good for the person. Sure. And uh, we had some good products, and I that was my philosophy. So. With that in mind, I was able to uh, just go out and uh, I networked. Um, uh, and, and in fact, the networking uh, was established through a, a organization that myself and two others put together. It was, we, we, uh, it was the, uh, the Urban League and uh, another individual, and we started a networking uh, uh once a month networking uh, gathering where we were able to bring together in particular uh, black entrepreneurs mm-hmm. or people in business or people interested in business and we, we we got together once once a month and we were able to do a lot of business with each other as well as help each other and that I profited a lot from that uh, mm. we started that back in 1986 so that, that helped me as far as gathering business uh, during my initial years with State Farm, but also served as a, as a base to work from as far as uh, advancing just uh, business-wise as well as uh, being socially conscious as well in the community. Good stuff. If if you've just tuned in, this is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today. Uh, We're chatting with or wrapping up a conversation with uh, Mr. Alvin Keels talking about sustainability and entrepreneurship. We've got about two minutes left. What would you say to someone who has sort of reached that place, perhaps in their journey as um, an agency owner or maybe just uh, an insurance salesperson where they're kind of looking at the numbers and Maybe they're a little bit not as optimistic. Um, would you, what would you encourage? Well, the I do encourage a person to pursue a, a field uh, of that uh, of this nature. Uh, the industry has changed; uh, it's very competitive, but it's still an industry that's needed. And if you have a desire. If you have uh, to to work in the, in the type of industry like this, I, I definitely and, uh, highly recommend it. Now, uh, the companies that you represent, they all are different. They have you know, different setups um, uh, uh, as far as getting started. Uh, and then, you know, one company uh, based on uh, that person's position is, would be more attractive than another company. But uh, it, it's, it's a good industry and it's always needed. So I, I do encourage uh, 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 individuals who have this desire to, to, to further pursue it. Awesome. I love it. I think there's a huge need for it as well, particularly in our community. This is the age of GoFundMe, you know, and, and it's just... Yeah, I'd love to have another conversation with you, really. Love to have you back on the show just to talk more about that in particular. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Sure.
and safe travels to and you. And I thank you for having me. For sure. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Alvin. Welcome, welcome back to Black Wall Street today with Blair Durham. Super excited about this edition of Hashtag Add This to the List. We are featuring the Young Investors of Virginia Club and Miss Kezia Hendricks, who will share an important opportunity to impact the next generation. Hi, Kezia. Hello, how are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you? <laughs> oh, I'm fantastic. So good to see you. Oh, Please yes. tell our listeners how you got started with this awesome work you're doing in the community. Well, for starters, Young Investors of Virginia is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that focuses on at-risk teens, specifically um, males, um, teenage boys um, from ages 13 to 18. And what we are doing, we are training and grooming them to be the next generation of community investors. Um, they don't just invest in money, which that is the draw for them, but they also invest in themselves, um, personal investment. Um, they invest in their academics, you know, their education. They invest in their community um, and they invest in, you know, generations before and after them. So we're super excited about that. I'm super excited about it. <laughs> I get the warm fuzzies, all the feels just thinking about the impact of your group. Such a huge need. So, yeah, like <laughs> it, it's always personal when we start yeah. with work like this. Though. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. I got to hear the keysiest story because you got some... Oh my Amazing gosh. layers in there that oh, led you to boy. this decision. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of different layers. Um, for starters, uh, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, um, and my mom was a single parent of 12 children. Um, oh and being a single parent of 12 children, uh, you know, you know where we lived. We lived in public housing. And next to public, our public housing um, was a detention center or a jail. And it was pretty much like a breeding ground. Like, you know, the kids, you know, the, the moms would have babies. The boys would get locked up. They would send them, you know, it's like it was it was an easy transition. Um, so looking back at that as an adult, I was and then seeing what's going on in today with the school to prison pipeline. I was like, OK, well, it's ha it doesn't matter what state you're in. Um, it's something that's going on where they get our young boys specifically at a very early age and um, they're influenced to either commit crimes or charge with crimes that they didn't commit. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and they're just literally pipelining to be free labor, you know, mm -hmm. per the 13th Amendment. Mm -hmm. So um, my brother, he did 15 years. Um, he went in at 15, 14 and 15 years old. Um, and the whole time he was locked up, I just wanted to build a future that I know that when he got out that you know I would have something the whole time I'm like dreaming like trying to think of a business or a career where I can make a lot of money so that when he got out he wouldn't have to face some of the challenges that most of our black men face with not being able to have employment um, when they got out um, unfortunately I wasn't able to do that like I like and he's he's well and fine today but mm -hmm. um but, you know, I, it gave me a passion to go into doing community service um, and teaching at-risk um, youth, specifically boys, um, about opportunities outside of sports, basketball, football, um, and the music industry. So, um, and that started with volunteering. My first job was at a, non a nonprofit a child care in Dallas, um, where I had a chance to learn everything about nonprofits you know, as a 17-year-old high school student mm -hmm. and teen mom, mm -hmm. um, 
And so I learned the nonprofit side. So I've been in nonprofit all my life. Um, I, I can't get away from that. Um, <laughs> and I even even getting out of nonprofit and going into the financial industry, I entered the financial industry through nonprofit. <laughs> right. And ultimately to impact nonprofit. To impact nonprofits, right? Yeah. Um, I volunteered for four years at the Navy Marine Corps Relief Society um, when I moved here to Virginia. So I, I was a financial counselor. So I had an opportunity to sit down with a military service member and do a penny-by-penny budget, um, especially ones that um, of, of the uh, military service members of color who um, weren't, you know, as privy to information on how to manage their finances. Um, I saw a lot of stuff that happened. I saw a lot of, of our people not knowing the basics of financial literacy, and I just wanted to go out and take a big bullhorn and say, okay, guys, know your interest rates, please, Lord. Um, okay, yeah. let's do a budget. You know, understand what... Um, um, you know, APR is and that that car is a charger, but it's 23 percent interest. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and only worth, you know, three thousand dollars. Wow. If you um, just tuned in, this is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street today. We're interviewing Kezia Hendricks. She is the executive director of Young Investors of Virginia, a new 501c3. She is impacting at risk boys in particular with the good news about financial literacy yay. and entrepreneurship. Just delighted to have you on the show. Absolutely. So talk about some of the strides you guys have made so far yes. with your group and how we can help you. Oh, awesome. So um, we um, we are focusing on real estate um, investments. Okay. Um, la- this past summer, they had uh, the young investors, thir- uh, 14 young men had the opportunity to um, be uh, junior real estate agents and we had pseudo buyers um, come in and the young men had a chance to go and show the house and we'll learn the description of the house um, thanks to Dr. James Allen he came in and taught um, that um, that version of the class as well as showed the young men how to um, show the house um, as wow. real estate agents that was super Huge. fun yeah absolutely so one of the things that you can do to help, we um, are planning uh, fundraisers right now. We just um, we celebrated on Monday night our um, 2019 calendar. Um, the young man had an opportunity to do a photo shoot with a celebrity photographer, Keith Cephas. Um, wow. And they shot at Hampton Roads uh, helicopters in some really nice suits. And, um, <laughs> and, and also, big shout out to Tally and Twine. Um, for donating the watch pieces that the young men wore in the photo shoot. So we have a 2019 calendar. The calendars are $15. Um, They are selling like hotcakes, so you better get them (laughs) before they're gone. So that's one of the ways is purchasing our calendar. And it's also their first entrepreneurship um, project that they're using um, to learn about um, selling, uh, you know, items. Are the calendars available via Facebook? So, yes, you can reach out to us uh, via Facebook, Instagram, um, and as well as through our website. Okay. How can you be reached? Um, Young Investors of Virginia Club. Um, if you want to write a checkout, um, the the overhead the program is Young Investors Virginia Club, but the um, if you want to write a checkout to the nonprofit is Young Investors Group. Um, you can also make a one-time donations um, if you like, or you can do a monthly um, donation um, to our organization. Um, if you would like to also include us in your trust, your wills or, or estates, feel free to, um, you know, impart, um, you know, young investors, um, you know, after, you know, after life. Um, nice. We 
we definitely support that. Also, the biggest thing is we have vending events that we'll be attending where the boys will get a chance to interact and share with you on a face-to-face basis. So if you'd like to, you know, follow us, keep up with what we're doing. And we love we would love to have you for our um, next house that the young men will be able to show. Okay, I love it. So yes. Facebook and Instagram, Young Investors, Investors of, of Virginia, Virginia Club. Club. Absolutely. Okay, we're writing checks to Young Investors Group. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got it. Yay! This is so awesome. <laughs> uh, what was I going to ask? Forgot what so, it was. You mentioned well, vending events. What yes. So, um, so Thursday, this uh, this Thursday, which is tomorrow, if you hadn't had a chance to celebrate uh, Black History Month, we will be at um, Great White Water Sports um, in Norfolk, Virginia, in Ocean View. They're having a showing of. Um, a movie about African Americans in water sports, um, which is not something very common. <laughs> Actually, in water wow. sports is not really um, as popular in the in our community, but we are still very involved and very um, productive in that industry. So we're going to learn a lot about that. Um, so we'll be there selling calendars and other products um, there on tomorrow. Um, we posted on our Facebook page if you want to learn more about that. So come out and be a buyer of our calendar and other products that we have to sell. Um, Great support white us that water way. sports. You yes. said this Thursday. Okay. Yes. Now, what if I am a mom okay. that has a son okay. that I'd like to have be a part of the program? If you're a mom and you have a son and you want to be a part of the program, I guess I'll just repeat what you said. No, um, you would just reach out to me on Facebook. Same thing. Yes. Okay. Cool. And you're currently enrolling. Um, we so we uh, the enrollment is closed for this session. Okay. Our next session will start up in in May. Okay. Um, and Got we'll it. be accepting. But you're new accepting enrollees. applications and so forth yes. now. Yes. Okay. Perfect. And then what about? Because I know it sounds like this effort requires probably a good number of volunteers to sustain mentors well, yeah. well, and things like we that. We started out with 14. Now we have 23 and the program is just growing just by the months. Um, yeah. The word of mouth is, is the biggest fo- uh, form of um, recruitment. Mm-hmm. And um, we have leaders that are a part of in the community that are part of our organization, sure. um, the young men themselves. And so they literally recruit other young men. Okay. And okay. so what if I'd like to volunteer? Same thing. Can I reach out? Yeah, reach Facebook? out to me. Yep. Okay. And we will, you'll go through the volunteer training and we'll get you rolling. Perfect. Super exciting. I'm going to have you repeat once more how you can be reached because I know people are driving and eating and yes. <laughs> they're trying to record the information. I want to make sure they can get to you. So you can um, reach, you can contact us through our website, which is younginvestorsgroup.org younginvestorsgroup.org you can contact us on facebook instagram and twitter um at young investors of virginia club which is the actual mentorship program so um young investors of virginia club and or you can email me at young investors of va at gmail.com What's your vision for this program long term? Um, the vision for the program um, in the next five years is to have 100 young men from low income and high crime zip codes um, that invest in real estate, um, trading stocks and invest in their communities, both um, the generations before them and after them, bridging the gap between uh, the elderly community and bridging the gap between the generation that, that's behind them. Fantastic. 
Huge need. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pass the mantle. Yeah. Teach them early. Yeah. yeah, in the group economics, it's really cool to see them do group economics and partner together to get what they want. And so I've been in a few circles where I've mentioned group economics and folks have kind of said, hmm, what's that? School, school the audience. What is group economics? What's the practice of group economics? So um, for the young investors, group economics is basically what one of our young investors stated on Monday night is being able to partner with um, with other people to get what you want, um, whether it be through in through resources or finances or um um, or services, you come together um, to achieve a goal to um, be financially empowered as a group. Awesome. Kezia, I got to thank you. I look forward to having you back on the show Yay. year after year to hear about the growth oh. of young investors. This is so exciting. I will have them with me next time. Yes. And especially since they're 13 and 14 years old, a lot of the young men are going to be like 18 and they're going to be adults. We've had young people on here before. Oh my gosh. That'd be great. Uh, yeah, that's going to be amazing. Awesome. Well, thanks so very <laughs> thank much. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much, Blair. Absolute pleasure. No, it's the pleasure is mine. Yay. Since we're finalizing Black History Month, I've got to share this. What do you know about Shirley Chisholm? In 1968, Chisholm became the first black woman elected to the U.S. Congress, representing New York's 12th district for seven terms from 1969 to 1983. As both a New York state legislator and a congresswoman, Chisholm championed the rights of at least I'm sorry, the rights of the least of us, excuse me, fighting for improved education, health and social services, including unemployment benefits for domestic workers, providing disadvantaged students the chance to enter college while receiving intensive remedial education, the food stamp program and the special supplemental nutrition program for women, infants and children, also known as WIC. Chisholm noted that she faced more discrimination because of gender than race during her New York legislative career, while acknowledging the additional struggle that black women encounter specifically because of their race. All those Chisholm hired for her congressional office were women. Half of them were black. Tremendous amounts of talent are lost to our society just because that talent wears a skirt, Chisholm said. Before President Barack Obama's Yes We Can slogan and Hillary's Stronger Together, there was Chisholm's unbought and unbossed. In 1972, Chisholm became the first black candidate for a major party's nomination for president of the United States and the first woman to run for the Democratic Party's presidential nomination. Chisholm remarked in words that still resonate today that, quote, in the end, anti-black, anti-female, and all forms of discrimination are equivalent to the same thing, anti-humanism. The next time you queue up Solange Knowles' album, A Seat at the Table, be reminded of Chisholm's words. If they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. And now our next guest, Mr. J.R. Locke serves on several executive boards and is the founding president and CEO of EBM or Executive Board Management and Diversity Consulting. Mr. Locke has provided board governance training for nonprofit organizations throughout Hampton Roads, focusing on board excellence, leadership, teamwork, and diversity and inclusion. He has a tremendous bio, <laughs> but we're going to get into some of those details today. Please welcome Mr. Locke. How are you, sir? I am doing wonderful. How are you? I am doing well. I'm so excited to have you here. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. Yes. And as you know, we're focusing on sustainability and entrepreneurship. I think it takes one kind of person to start a business, definitely admirable, but it takes yes. a different set of characteristics to maintain that business over time. And Absolutely. You've had all kinds of success. So would you share with us your wisdom today? Well, I'll be glad to. 
I guess, first of all, I would be remiss to uh, not say that I am currently with Hampton University in the yes. Office of Development. Hampton and, University, uh, stand up. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Office and, of Development, okay. And what we do there is actually uh, raise money for the university so that we can continue our great mission in educating our students so wow. that they can go on and have fabulous careers. Wow, that's huge. I think yeah. a lot of us, sometimes it kind of goes over our heads that these institutions are nonprofits, you know, they undergo these same kinds of processes to stay mm-hmm. afloat. And so it's great to have you at the helm there. Yes, thank you. And in reference to, I guess, my entrepreneurial passion, sure. I always had a desire to be in business for myself. And um, ever since I was 12 years old. Wow. And I continue to... Wait, can I ask what sure. happened at the age of 12 that That's a great remember? question. And probably at that time, yeah, I was involved in a family business. Okay. Uh, my father actually owned a barbecue restaurant. He and my uncle were partners in that restaurant. And oftentimes I would um, go to the restaurant and they would allow me to serve customers. And really I felt like that was a very valuable experience because it uh, helped me to hone... I would say my customer service skills mm-hmm. and really understanding that the customer is always right. Mm-hmm. And that's your job there is to make sure that when people come in to your establishment, that they're satisfied. And when they leave, they're happy because then that enhances the opportunity for them to return. Wow. In fact, if you've just tuned in, this is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today. We have a wonderful guest in the studio, Mr. J.R. Locke, who is with the Office of Development right here at Hampton University, just schooling us to some of the gems (laughs) associated with success and sustainability and entrepreneurship. Go ahead. Yeah, one of the things I did want to speak today, Blair, about entrepreneurship is that oftentimes, particularly in the African-American community and and oftentimes in other communities, you know, people get into the idea that they want to own their own business because of some challenges that they might be having on their job. Mm. Whether they don't really like the job or they don't like the supervisor, oftentimes their desire to go into their own business is because of dissatisfaction where they're working. And that probably is not the reason why you should go into your own business. Because when you decide you want to go into your own business, it should be because you have a passion for that business. Right. Not because you're uncomfortable someplace else, although that does become an impetus for people to get started. Mm -hmm. But you want to make sure that that's your passion. Because when you're into your own business, you don't have anybody to report to. Mm -hmm. You don't have anybody to say, this is what you need to do. You, know, you have to set those goals and objectives and you have to hold yourself accountable to make sure those things get done. And so from a day-to-day basis, the first thing uh, I would advocate because when I was the executive director of the Hampton University Business Incubator, mm-hmm. you know, that was our mission is to help entrepreneurs get started. And one of the things that I found that I would speak to entrepreneurs about is making sure that they would do an initial inventory, a self-assessment of themselves to ensure that they have the qualities that other successful entrepreneurs have to be in business. For example, 
if you're the kind of person that you know you like to get up at 11, 12 o'clock every day. Right. You probably should not think about going into your own business. Wow. Because when you look at successful entrepreneurs and when you read about them and have an opportunity to talk to them and you ask them, well, what time do you get up in the morning? I get up at 5 o'clock. 3, 4. 5.30. What time do you go to bed? Man, I went to bed at midnight. So those are characteristics that people have to examine to, to determine whether or not they have some of those similar characteristics that successful people have. You got to give us a few more of those. I think that is so important. Well, I mean, there are a couple of companies in the area that um, really been launched here that I know there's, I'm looking to be very successful. One is called IV Watch. Okay. And this particular entrepreneur, uh, he had a passion to own his own business. He had started some other companies before, but he came across an idea that he saw a need because with uh, intravenous use, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, it doesn't go successful when people sticking needles in your arm. Sometimes they don't hit the right place. Sometimes the, the intravenous uh, tubes leak. And so he saw a need where he developed a device and named a company. It's called IV Watch. I mean, that company is an upcoming company. They've raised you know several million dollars in um, these fundraising rounds. And they're going on to be a big company in this area. Another company comes to mind is called Ed Logics. This entrepreneur, he saw the need in healthcare that we are continually facing an uphill battle on trying to get control of our healthcare. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you know, you know, you always are trying to be first in doing things, but when it comes to healthcare, mm-hmm. you don't want to be first. As a community, you don't want to have the highest level of blood pressure. You don't want to have the highest rate of heart attacks. And unfortunately, many of those particular characteristics we have in the African-American community, uh, but this company saw a niche to say, well, people are trying to get educated, but oftentimes it's about reading. And unfortunately, a lot of people just don't read enough Mm. to learn how to be healthier. So this entrepreneur actually developed a concept through gamification. Oh, wow. Uh, And it's through games that he's creating excitement about healthcare. I mean, some of the questions you go on the the platform and it'll ask you, well, does eating fried foods cause high blood pressure? Maybe a true or false answer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But when you answer, the correct answer gives you accumulating points. And at the end of the month, you're competing against many other people that's on that platform, and you may win a $50 gift certificate. And Love so it. it's those kind Very of unique, innovative, innovative ideas mm-hmm. is what causes entrepreneurs to, to have the opportunity to be successful. If you have just tuned in, you're in for a treat. This is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today. We are talking about sustainability and entrepreneurship with J.R. Locke, who is... Uh, Gosh, just Mr. Hampton University working in the <laughs> Office of Development at present, uh, former leader for the uh, the Hampton University Business Incubator, just giving us some some gems here. So these entrepreneurs that you just mentioned, the founder of Ivy Watch, the yeah. founder of Ed Logics. Yes. Are these companies that you helped shape? Through no. Your- uh, okay. I didn't help shape them, but I just have the the good fortune of being able to meet those entrepreneurs and talk with them 
how do they get started, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's where you learn is by talking to other successful people. Sure. Uh, but one of the things I also wanted to mention about you know, starting your own business, I don't know how many times you've driven around a community and you see a new business started, but maybe 12 months later, you drive by there and it's a for sale sign up. Yeah, all the time. All the time. And you just wonder, what was the cause of that business's demise? Mm-hmm. And the two primary reasons why businesses fail, Blair, points to this. is lack of capital mm-hmm. and lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, the lack of capital, we have a challenge. Most business owners have a challenge being able to get the necessary capital to start a business. But lack of, lack of knowledge is on you. Right. At this point. Yeah. It's on you. And so any entrepreneur should be trying to find out as much as possible. There's so much information on the Internet now about everything. And so particularly as it relates to starting a business, there's just so much information out there that you shouldn't have a great foundation on the kinds of things that you need to do to start a business. One of the things I also want to highlight is the value of incubators. because. When I started my company, I wasn't really familiar with incubators, mm-hmm. but they're such a great tool because here there's an opportunity that if you're starting a business and you're operating out of your home and your business is growing and you feel like I need an office mm-hmm. because an office does play a vital role in terms of projecting the professionalism of your company. Mm-hmm. And you can go to an incubator, have an office, And what's most valuable is you have mentoring because the incubator's objectives is that they will help you and guide you through the steps so that you, as you mentioned earlier, not only start a business, but to sustain your business. Uh, They help you with your business plan. They help you with a marketing plan. And those are the essentials that every business need to have in place in order to be successful. Some of the business owners who came into the incubator they, I would ask them, do you have a business plan? Well, yeah, I have one. It's in my head. Hmm. I mean, as you know. It's a good place for it. If it's not written down, most of the time, it's not important. Right. It's true. And so these are the kind of fundamentals that I do want to advocate for business owners that you need to start out with some type of business plan sure. written on paper hmm. because that's the track for you to run on. We've got two minutes remaining. I want to ask you about a couple of quick things. Sure. Giggling Paws and Pets.com. <laughs> when my assistant sent me that message, I was like, oh, that's not, that's not the right. I don't think that's the right person. <laughs> Please tell us about Giggling Paws and Pets. All right. Giggling Paws and Pets is um, another one of my companies, actually, um, that I'm working with my son who started that company. Okay. And uh, if you think about Facebook, one of the models that my son has is that Facebook is not just for humans. Mm. Wow. And so it's a, uh, a digital platform where people can go on the site, learn about health and safety tips for their pets. Okay. And then um, at some point in the future, there will be opportunities for pet owners actually to post pictures of themselves and their pets. Okay. And, and basically it is a platform similar to Facebook, but for animals. Wow. Innovative. Innovative. I love it. How can you be reached? I know you're doing some consulting. You're working with nonprofits. Is that right? 
I've worked with nonprofits. Uh, Are you working I've, with nonprofits now? Not too, but no. No. Okay, no. so we, we're not to contact you with questions about <laughs> <laughs> board governance or anything like that. I know you're connected to some things. Tell you. You're exchanging this dialogue. This has been great. But we'll have you on again soon. Thank well, you so thank much. Well, thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Ah, it's my, it's my heart. <laughs> it's your, it's your passion. Got to do it. Absolutely. There you go. Stay with us online at Black Wall Street Today on Facebook and Black Wall Street Today on Instagram. And then follow us on Twitter as well at BWS Today. We look forward to talking again next week. Have a wonderful week. I have said and I will continue to say that the most important priority for the black community is the black community, not a particular political party. Phenomenal, phenomenal.